0: Chapter Nine of The Ghost of Gear House. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Ghost of Gear House by Charles Willing Beale, Chapter Nine. In the early settlement of this state, an Englishman by the name of Gear pre-empted a large body of land near the center of which he erected this house. Although his intention in coming from the old country was to make his permanent home in the colony, his reasons for doing so were quite different from those which usually induce immigration. Guir was an artist, and a man of some means, and his object in colonizing was not so much to cultivate the soil, or to trade with the Indians, or engage in any business enterprise, as to gratify a craving for nature and surround himself with such scenery as he loved to paint it would be folly to pretend that guir was a man of ordinary tastes and disposition for had he been such he would never have undertaken a journey with a family of girls into such a wilderness as virginia was at that time no from the very circumstances of his birth and education he was unfitted to live with his countrymen hence his early adoption of the colony as a home for himself, wife, and daughters. This happened a hundred and fifty years ago. "'He was an ancestor of yours, I presume?' said Paul, hoping to gain some clue to the man's identity. "'No,' answered Aben. ben "'He was not.' "'Pardon the interruption,' added Paul, fearing he had annoyed the speaker. ''Naturally, in a country without roads or even wagon trails,'' continued the old man, without noticing the apology. It was years before a house of this size could be completed, as every brick and nearly every stick of timber was brought from England. These, of course, were conveyed by water as far as the rivers permitted, the rest of the journey being performed upon sleds drawn by oxen, but it was Gear's hobby, and in the course of a dozen or fifteen years the job was completed, and the house stood as you see it now. Then the owner set himself to work with brush, canvas, and chisel, to decorate his home, and make it, according to his ideas, as beautiful and suggestive of his early youth as imaginable. With his own hands, Mr. Henley, he painted most of these pictures although his three daughters inheriting his tastes assisted him and thus as the years rolled by gearhouse became more and more a museum of artistic efforts embracing many unusual subjects and in every degree of perfection the broad acres of the estate produced much that was necessary toward the maintenance of life and what they lacked was supplied once a year from a distant settlement near the coast as you can readily understand, there were no neighbors and but occasional visits from the red men who looked distrustfully upon the pale-face. This feeling became mutual and trifling acts of hostility on the part of the natives grew both in frequency and magnitude. Depredations upon Guir's fields and cattle were at first ignored in the effort to maintain peace, but in time it became necessary to resist them, upon one occasion a raid upon a distant field was successfully repulsed with the aid of his wife and three daughters attired in men's clothing and mounted upon fast horses the indians were so completely surprised by the ruse being apparently attacked by five men where they had believed there was only one they had fled completely routed nor did they return for several years Meanwhile, fearing another and closer attack, Guir converted one of the lower rooms of his house into an impenetrable and unassailable place of refuge. The windows were walled up to correspond with the stonework of the house, leaving no suspicion of there having been once an opening. Likewise, the doors were treated, and then carefully plastered both within and without, with the exception of one, which he made anew to communicate with a private stairway leading from one of the upper bedrooms. This was the only entrance to the dark retreat, and a heavy bolt was placed upon the inside, to be used by the family in case of attack. There was no reason to suppose that a marauding party would ever find the way to this secret chamber, as the entrance was carefully covered by a scuttle in the floor of a dark closet, and the place being thoroughly fireproof, the family felt unusually secure in the possession of their new retreat. "'I think I have seen the stairway you speak of,' said Paul. "'Yes,' answered the old man. "'It communicates with the closet of your room.' One day, Gere had left his home he had ridden alone into the distant hills to dispute the range of some cattle with his natural enemy, the Red Man. The pow-wow had been long and trying, and it was only with the setting sun that he had come to a proper understanding, as he supposed, with the ugly chief who dominated the region about. It was midnight when he reached his home. He pounded sharply on the door, but his good wife, who never retired without him, failed to answer the summons so after repeated knocks gear forced the door and entered all was dark an unearthly stillness pervaded the air and a horrid suspicion forced itself upon him while groping his way forward to secure a light finding the chimney he raked together a few coals which he blew into a flame and then with trembling hands lighted the candle upon the shelf above. Looking about him, Geer's heart sank. His house had been wrecked. His pictures, the work of years, were scattered in fragments about the floor. The windows were smashed, and the hall starred with broken glass. Not an ornament, not a treasure remained intact but this he knew was as nothing to the horrible sight which he expected momentarily to greet his eyes. He called aloud to each member of his family in the failing hope that someone would answer, but no sound broke the awful stillness. Suddenly he bethought him of the secret chamber, and with a wild prayer that his loved ones had been able to reach it in safety and were still in hiding there, he started down the narrow stairs in search reaching the bottom he found that the door had been wrenched from its hinges and thrown to the ground and then gear's heart sank never to rise again stepping across the threshold of the room candle in hand a vision of blood swam before his eyes and the dimly burning light revealed the horror-stricken faces of his murdered family not one was left to tell the tale but the story pictured before him was unmistakable in every detail. The treacherous natives had first tortured and then butchered them. For a time he stood transfixed with horror, unable to remove his eyes from the awful scene or his feet from the spot where he had first beheld it. Then with the cry of sudden madness he threw himself beside the bleeding corpses and lost all consciousness how long he remained there was problematical but on awaking gear was still in the dark and where he had fallen at that moment a strange and overpowering desire seized him he must paint the portraits of his murdered family before it became too late had he been sane such a ghastly thought would never have possessed him but gear was crazed and for days and nights following he worked in that dismal vault by the light of a smoking lamp at the task he had set himself his fired imagination even intensifying the horrors of the gruesome tableau upon each canvas he depicted the awful countenance which fact and fancy had imprinted upon his brain Gear painted not only what he saw but what he imagined he saw dreadful faces loaded with torture and despair when completed he hung them upon the walls of the room and then with his own hands bricked up the entrance from within having first carefully replaced and bolted the door when gear had thus entombed himself he lay down again upon the floor and then still a madman opened a vein in his wrist the letting of blood may have sobered him or restored his mental equilibrium for suddenly, with a wild change in his feelings, he bounded to his feet and repented. Again he was in darkness and could not guess how much time had elapsed since his fatal act. Staggering to the closed doorway, he endeavored to tear away the bricks he had so recently placed there, but the mortar was hardening fast, and he was unable to find his trowel groping frantically along the floor he searched in vain for some tool to open the vault in which he was buried and then with the anguish of despair dropped again upon the ground to await his fate thus guir died in an agony of remorse and with the intense desire to live ah ben stopped suddenly and fixed his eyes upon henley as if trying to read his thoughts there is one thing in that story that strikes me as very peculiar observed paul returning his host's look with interest and what is that answered the old man his eyes still fixed on henley's face the fact that you are able to repeat with such circumstantial detail the feeling and actions of a man who died under such peculiar conditions and quite alone It might indeed appear strange to you, Mr. Henley, but my familiarity with the case enables me to speak with knowledge and accuracy. "'And would you mind telling me how that is possible?' inquired Paul. "'Because I am the man Gure himself, and I have lived on through such ages of agony that I have no longer the will or desire to appear other than as the ancient wreck before you.' Paul started. "'Do you mean to tell me, then, that I am talking to a ghost?' he cried in dismay. "'As you please, Mr. Henley. But ghosts are not so different from ordinary people—that is, when they have become materialized. I have just now shown you the real condition of this old house, or rather the way in which the majority of men see it i do not hesitate therefore to show you the ghost that haunts it nor do i object to explaining the dreadful cause of the haunting or a little of the philosophy of hauntings in general paul looked aghast easy enough was it now to comprehend how the man had talked so familiarly of death and the next life after having actually crossed the threshold and passed into the realm of experience but there was something too real too natural about this personality to accept the remark as literal familiarity with ah ben had shown him to be a man paul felt sure of it and yet here were revealed mysteries never dreamed of one of which was even now producing an occult spell henley drew a deep breath in agony of spirit after a moment's pause the old man continued ghosts mr henley are as real as you and when a spirit returns to earth in visible form it is the result of some disquieting influence immediately before the death of the body or as i might say previous to the new life at the hour of physical birth Such influences cause idiocy or such imperfection of the bodily functions that death ensues and the spirit returns to seek another entrance into the world of matter. When a man dies dominated by some intense earthly desire, his mind is barred against the higher powers and greater possibilities of spirit. His whole nature is closed against their reception so that he perceives and hopes for nothing save the continuance of that life which has so completely filled his nature his old environment overpowers the new by the very force of his will and if this continues he becomes not only a haunting spirit but a materialized one visible to certain people under certain conditions and compelled to live out his life amid the scenes which had so attracted him This, Mr. Henley, has been my case. I shall live upon earth and be visible to the spiritually susceptible until the strong impression made at the hour of death shall have worn away. "'And the young lady, is she your daughter?' inquired Paul. "'She is my daughter,' answered the old man solemnly. HOW COMES IT, THEN, THAT SHE ADDRESSES YOU BY SO SINGULAR A NAME? IT IS THE ONE SHE FIRST LEARNED TO USE IN INFANCY. AS I PARTIALLY EXPLAINED TO YOU, MY MOTHER WAS A HINDU WHILE MY FATHER WAS ENGLISH. THE NAME Ah ben BELONGS TO THE MATERNAL SIDE OF MY FAMILY. ANOTHER QUESTION, MORE VITAL THAN ANY I HAVE YET ASKED. "'because it concerns my own well-being and happiness,' continued Paul. "'How is it possible that Dorothy can live in a place like this "'with a being who is only semi-material?' "'Because her nature is double, as is mine,' answered the old man. "'Dorothy, like her sisters and mother, "'passed out of this life more than a hundred and fifty years ago.' AND DID THE SAME CAUSES OPERATE TO BRING HER BACK TO EARTH?" Ah, ben BECAME MORE SERIOUS THAN EVER AS HE ANSWERED, YOU HAVE TOUCHED UPON THE SOREST POINT OF ALL, AND ONE WHICH REQUIRES FURTHER ELUCIDATION. SUDDEN AND UNNATURAL DEATH HAS A RETARDING TENDENCY UPON THE SPIRIT'S PROGRESS. BUT WHERE ONE HAS CAUSED HIS OWN DESTRUCTION, THE EVIL RESULTING IS INCALCULABLE i was a suicide and ten thousand times over had i better have borne all the ills that earth could heap upon me than have stooped to such folly for in what has it resulted a prolonged mental agony such as you can never conceive for i have no home in heaven nor earth but am forced to wander amid the shadows of each world unrecognized by those either above or below me HERE I AM SHUNNED UPON EVERY HAND, AND, AS YOU SAW FOR YOURSELF, I WAS EQUALLY AVOIDED IN LEVASHAN. BUT THAT IS NOT ALL. IN THE IGNORANCE AND SELFISHNESS OF MY GRIEF, I YEARNED FOR MY LOST ONES WITH A SOLICITUDE, A CONSUMING FIERCENESS AND POWER OF WILL WHICH INSANITY ONLY CAN EQUAL. BY NATURE I WAS INTENSE, AND EVEN HAD I NOT COMMITTED THE FATAL ACT, MY VITALITY WOULD HAVE BURNED ITSELF AWAY WITH THE AWFUL CONCENTRATION OF FEELING, BUT IT MUST BE REMEMBERED THAT I WAS NOT THE ONLY SUFFERER FROM THIS PITIFUL LACK OF SELF-CONTROL. THE STRONGER DESIRES AND EMOTIONS OF THE LIVING INFLUENCE THE DEAD, I USE THE WORDS IN THEIR COMMON ACCEPTANCE FOR THE SAKE OF CONVENIENCE, AND HERE IS WHERE I CAUSED SUCH INCALCULABLE INJURY TO MY OWN CHILD for Dorothy, having entered the spirit world with inferior powers of resistance, fell under the spell I had wrought, and joined me in the haunting of this old house. Here, Mr. Henley, am I, a suicide, justly deserving the punishment I receive. But there is my child, as innocent as the heir of heaven, forced to suffer with me, and it is no small part of my chastisement to realize this fact. People fly from us as they would from pestilence, both in this world and the other, although many of the dwellers in the higher state, from their greater knowledge and loftier development, simply avoid us. And we cannot criticize their action in either world, for we are not adapted to either state. We are outcasts, Ah, Ah-Ben paused for a moment, and then became deeply impressive, as he added, "'Mr. Henley, let the experience of one who has suffered, and who will continue to suffer more than you can possibly understand, let this experience, I say, warn you against the unreasonable yearning for the return of those who have passed on to their spiritual state. Here, our eyes are blinded to the blessedness to come.' And it is well it is so, for were it otherwise, the discipline of earth life would be lost as too monstrous to be endured. No man could submit to the restraints of matter with the power and freedom of spirit in sight. If once I could have realized the dreadful results entailed upon what I had lost by my effort to recover it, I would have known that the blackest curse would have been trifling by contrast. Let the dead rest, and let one who knows persuade you that their entrance into spirit life is a time rather for rejoicing than regret. "'And is Dorothy to suffer as you have suffered, for what was no fault of hers?' demanded Paul. "'Yes,' said Aben, "'The law of karma is the law of nature and the law of God.' AND WHILE ORDINARILY SHE WOULD HAVE PASSED SAFELY ON, IN THE POSSESSION OF HER NEWBORN POWERS, THE PITFALL WHICH I BLINDLY LAID BESET HER UNWARY FEET, AND SHE FELL. THERE IS BUT ONE COURSE OPEN, BUT ONE WAY IN WHICH DOROTHY CAN REACH EITHER HEAVEN OR EARTH BY A SHORTER ROAD THAN THAT WHICH I AM COMPELLED TO TRAVEL. IT IS SIMPLE, AND YET ONE WHICH, UNDER THE CIRCUMSTANCES, IS ALMOST IMPOSSIBLE TO ACHIEVE and this from the fact that it requires the cooperation of a human being. "'I should imagine that anyone with the ordinary feelings of humanity would gladly do what he could to assist such an unhappy fellow-creature,' exclaimed Paul. "'But she is not a fellow-creature,' urged the old man true but i understood you to say that she might become one with the cooperation of a human being i did ah ben replied but where is that to be found not knowing the nature of the task it would be difficult to say answered paul but i will adhere to my first proposition that one with the ordinary feelings of humanity would gladly do what he could "'Mr. Henley, have you the ordinary feelings of humanity?' "'I hope so,' answered Paul. "'Would you be willing to marry a ghost and be haunted for the rest of your life? For the ghost would be sure to outlive you.' Paul started. "'I have put the case too strongly,' continued Ah Ben. "'Dorothy is not a ghost in the ordinary sense.' she is a materialized spirit and that my dear friend is exactly what you are with this difference you have practically no control over your body while she having returned from the summer land abnormally can like myself become invisible at will but upon the other hand she is not always visible even to those whom she would like to have see her IN SHORT, AS I HAVE TOLD YOU BEFORE, WE BELONG TO NEITHER ONE WORLD NOR THE OTHER. BUT THROUGH UNION WITH A HUMAN CREATURE, DOROTHY CAN ONCE MORE ASSUME THE FUNCTIONS OF MORTALITY, AND AFTER ANOTHER PERIOD OF EARTH LIFE, BECOME FITTED AGAIN FOR THE LAND OF SPIRITS." "'I UNDERSTAND YOU ENTIRELY,' ANSWERED PAUL, AND CAN SAY, WITHOUT HESITATION OR RESERVATION, that I love your daughter, and be she, whom or what she may, will gladly marry her, if she can say as much for me." "'I thought I could not be mistaken in my man,' answered Aben. "'I have believed in your frankness, honour, and courage from the beginning, and although you came to this house with the intention of deceit, I feel sure in the more serious situations of life you are to be relied upon you have spoken to dorothy mr henley and i am confident she shares my trust in you i hope so answered paul i know it the old man replied and let me tell you further that this match is not one subservient to the ends of utility or profit for were such the motive the very end would be defeated Dorothy must love the man she marries with all her heart and soul, and you can readily understand, ostracized as we are, how difficult it has been to find such a one. For more than a century we have sought in vain, and I have pressed every opportunity and strained every power to bring about such a meeting and such a result as I trust will shortly follow. But the world has given us no chance, and those few who have been able to see us have only fled in terror. Am I at liberty, then, to prove my devotion to your daughter by asking her to marry me? "'You have already done so,' replied Ah-Ben, "'and I have already given my consent. But I warn you, Mr. Henley, that in your intercourse with my daughter you should remember that you are dealing with a nature far more intense and with a far greater capacity to love than any you have ever known. While the most fervid desire of Dorothy's life has doubtless been to meet some creature with whom she might affiliate, I believe she would forego even that happiness, if convinced that it would prove disastrous to the object of her affection." Paul extended his hands to Ah Ben, who took them with fervor. "'Dear old man,' he said, "'Although I am speaking to a ghost, I am not afraid of you, and knowing how much you have suffered, it shall be my aim to help and comfort you. For have you not shown me how close is the other world, and so in a measure removed the dread of death? How truly do I feel that those who have left us may be close around us, although we cannot see them?' And then, with a new light on all that surrounded him, Paul bade Aben ah good-night and went to his room. End of chapter 9 Recording by Roger Moline